So welcome back. I hope you're feeling somewhat refreshed. I'm certainly feeling the steadiness and the stability and the quietness here. And what a rare and precious experience that is to be in a group of people and have that feeling of us collectively deepening and strengthening our mindfulness and our stability of mind. So, so far we've been building a strong foundation of mindfulness of the body and mindfulness of breathing. And as I'm guessing you've all experienced, just because we might choose a particular focus or a particular home base of our awareness, that doesn't mean it stays there. So just because we've chosen a focus for our attention, that doesn't mean that the mindfulness stays there. The attention stays there, tends to move, right? And where does it often go? Into the head. And getting lost in all kinds of thinking. And that's why I often joke that mindfulness of breathing should be more accurately called mindfulness of thinking with occasional breathing because that's a bit closer to most people's actual experience, right? At least in relation to meditation in our daily life. So the good news is that in insight practice, the goal is not to completely eradicate thinking. Instead, it's to change our relationship to it. So simply knowing when thinking is happening, knowing thoughts as thoughts, knowing emotions as emotions, and moods as moods, and so on. So we can train in not getting entangled in the content of the mental activity. In other words, not taking it personally, not identifying with it, not making it more solid and permanent than it actually is, which again is much easier to say than it is to actually practice. So in a few moments, we are going to practice that skill of just letting our mental activity come and go without suppressing it, without denying it, and without feeding it. So what I'm encouraging here is to keep in mind, thoughts are not the enemy. So often I hear people say, oh, I can't meditate because my mind just won't shut up. Well, it's fortunately not about making the mind shut up. It's actually almost cruel to do that. In the Buddha's understanding, the mind is a sense organ. So just as the eyes see, the ears hear, the mind thinks. That's its nature. It's natural for mental activity to be going on quite a lot of the time. Still, even very experienced meditators can have an unconscious belief that real meditation happens when there are no thoughts in the mind. And it's true that this can happen in deeper stages of samadhi or um, concentration practice, when the mind drops into some pretty refined states of absorption known as jhana. But in vipassana or insight practice, Reducing our mental activity is a byproduct of the practice. It's not the main goal, which for most of us is good news. Because for most of us, much of the time, there will be some kind of mental activity happening. So again, we're trying to change our relationship 
to that activity rather than getting rid of it. This just allowing thinking to come and go, emotions to come and go, not identifying with them, not taking them personally, pretty different from the way we usually relate to what's happening in our minds. So without some mindfulness training, most people either are completely oblivious to what's happening here until they've got into some kind of trouble, or they believe their thoughts completely, take them personally, identify with them, have them define who they are. So on the one hand, the default is to wrongly believe our thoughts are just not important. On the other hand, to take them far too seriously. So I'm guessing you've all had the experience, maybe even today, of being in a state of relative ease, relative okayness, maybe even happiness. And then suddenly, seemingly out of nowhere, a particular random negative thought comes in and it's like our whole world shifts on its axis. And suddenly we find ourselves caught in unpleasant, even painful thoughts and emotions sometimes for hours, maybe even days. Why? Because of some firing of neurons in the brain. But as our mindfulness gets stronger, we can bring the same bare attention, same bare awareness to what's happening in our minds. And to understand directly, thoughts are just thoughts. In and of themselves, they don't have that much power. So what is a thought? It's just a tiny pulse of electrical activity in the brain. And it only has exactly as much power as we give to it. So, the more solid we make our thoughts, the more weight we give them, the more seriously we take them, the more we cling to them and identify with them, to that extent, they tend to cause stress and distress. The opposite is also true. The more we can know our thoughts are just thoughts, the more we can release the identification with them, the more freedom we have to choose which ones do we respond to and which ones do we simply let go of. So in the guided meditation that I'll offer in a few moments, I'll invite you to bring awareness to thoughts and emotions. And by thoughts, I mean any kind of mental thought process that doesn't have much of a bodily aspect to it. It's mostly experienced in the mind. And different people experience thinking in different ways. Some people are more verbally oriented. So they might hear sentences, words might appear in the mind, it might feel like a kind of an inner dialogue. At other times, thoughts might be more visual, maybe an inner movie or mental images of different kinds. Sometimes we hear music, songs, different kinds of sounds. All of these can be classified as thoughts, as distinct from emotions. Now, although emotions have a mental component, they often have a physical aspect to them too. And that's what distinguishes them from just thoughts. Emotions are often in a mix of sensations in the body, mental activity in the mind. So, for example... Let's take anxiety as an example. In terms of the body, often anxiety is experienced as kind of maybe a 
hollowness or churning in the belly, maybe a shallowness or tightness in the chest, maybe clamminess in the hands. And then in the mind, there's often a rush of mental activity, different kinds of agitated thoughts, anticipation of the future, anticipation of unpleasantness, sets up a kind of feedback loop that then amplifies the sensations in the body, that amplify the experience in the mind. whole thing sticks around for longer until we can bring mindfulness and kindness to that whole syndrome. So again, that's a very different way of relating to our mental activity than most of us are used to. So most of us need some training to recognize what's happening in the mind, to get clarity about it without getting lost in it. So again, this is where the tool of mental noting can be really helpful. If it's thinking, we can simply note thinking. That's all. Or if it's quite persistent, if you notice the same kind of thinking coming back, you might bring a little more nuance. Maybe you notice, oh, it's planning or fantasizing or daydreaming or longing or those kind of thoughts. If it's an emotion, really helpful to name, acknowledge what that emotion is. Could be frustration, self-judgment, irritation, lightness, happiness, ease, and so on. The power of the mental noting Just my understanding neurobiologically is the part of the mind that makes the note is different from the part of the mind that's experiencing the emotion. And this is particularly helpful with more afflictive emotions because the more we can simply know or note, oh, boredom or restlessness or agitation, every moment of noting is piercing the solidity of that state and ultimately helping it to disperse. In my own experience, it's not always so easy. Most of us need training in emotional literacy. So sometimes you might be just like, I don't know, something. But even the label something is useful because again, it's taking the mind momentarily out of whatever that emotion is. And as we keep staying present, at some point we might notice, oh, oh, it's embarrassment, or whatever it might be. So this is what we're going to experiment with in the next meditation. We'll start with the anchors that we've been using, the breath, the body, the sounds. And then I'll invite you to notice thoughts and then emotions. Now, if you've done this kind of contemplation before, you might notice some of you, when you're invited to turn your attention to your thoughts, poof, they seem to get stage fright and disappear. They were plaguing you for every previous sitting. And then when you're, quote, allowed to know them, they seem to vanish. So if that's fine, that's fine if that's happening for you. You can just know or note or notice up. Blankness or nothing much happening, or maybe, oh, stillness or very subtle calm. So you don't need to manufacture anything or change your experience in any way. Just try to know it exactly as it is. 
So that's one common response. Another is people, some people find the opposite. When they're invited to bring awareness to mental activity, it feels like it goes into overdrive and even becomes kind of overwhelming. It's impossible to notice a single thought because there's just so many. So if that happens for you, again, you can just know or note torrent of thoughts or flood of thoughts or overwhelm of thoughts. Then for other people, this whole invitation just stimulates more thinking. Oh, was that, was that a thought or was it an idea? What's the difference between an idea and a thought? Does that count as thinking? Am I thinking now? What am I supposed to be doing? If that happens to you, just let it go. Okay, thinking or confusion or wondering. So again, it doesn't matter what you're aware of as that you are aware And again, you can come back to the breath to steady yourself and then open up again when you feel a little more steady. So we'll give that a try in just a moment.